Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, May 1st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, that tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Just click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Trigon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to either, even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives, the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and or testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 or send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. 
you do that, we will address your comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time we discussed whatever it was you were interested in, and you can listen back to the archives to get the feedback. Also on that page, you'll find a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have actually been stepped through the worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial for you to help you get the maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. And that's what a lot of people do because they don't want to call in and talk about whatever is troubling them live or they're not able to be here live with us. So that's a powerful resource. We we frequently remind people that that archive of the last 12-plus years is available. The first eight years was one hour a day, five days a week, and these last four years plus have been two hours a day, five days a week. And highlight shows or shows that have been tagged by certain people as very valuable or specifically in which people have been stepped through the worksheet process have been singled out on that one page. So while the entire 12-plus years archive is available, um, rather than having to sift through all of that, Jeannie has singled out some of the premier shows, either detailing a discussion of how and why these tools are as powerful as they are, or actually shows where people have been stepped through the worksheet process. So, it's a Monday morning. We have plenty of time for comments and questions. The call-in number is 563-999-3581. How can we support you? What's on your mind for today? How did the weekend go? What might you be seeing tremendous success with or and or struggling with as far as the worksheet process? Let us know. Let us know how we can be of assistance. We've also been reading some of the essays from the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And... Um, I'm, I'm also, I have two interviews scheduled for next week. One of them is with a young woman who, at the age of 15 when her father died, was put on antidepressants and all kinds of other anti-anxiety medications and lived that way pretty much numbed out and miserable until her 30s. And... Um, and then realized that she was basically living in in a suicidal state most of the time. She was thinking about how and when and you know what what, what the aftercare would be for her dog when she jumped out of her fifth story window or whatever. And um, she was quite bright, and she lived in New York at the time. And finally, through the haze of all the medications that she was taking, she decided to go off of them and see if 
life was worth living before ending it. Because she'd never really known life. She couldn't really even remember life before her dad died and they put her on the medications. And so that book is titled, May Cause Side Effects. And um, it's another one of those books where the author has been uh, exceptionally honest. And so it would be a very difficult read for some because it talks about the agony of mental stress and the complications of being on what they call psychotropic meds for extended periods of time without having therapy and without having good review of the effects. And, um, and it's her story of how she eventually got off of them. So... That's an interview next week and also an interview with Pierre Prattervan about his new book, um, Discernment in Your Spiritual Path, The Gentle Art of Discerning or Discernment for Your your Own Personal Physical Path. And as I am reading that book, I'm just thinking about how similar it is to what we frequently, not always, but we frequently remember to say in these internet shows is that the purpose of this is to help every individual who listens or chooses to use these tools to tap into his or her own inner wisdom, his or her own connection to a source beyond just the conscious logical realm. And that's exactly what Pierre is talking about in his book, um, which isn't going to be available until the end of July, but because they're doing promo, um, he gave me a, um, what do you call it, an advanced copy in a, in a PDF form. So, so that's something to look forward to and or check out yourself if you're so inclined. Um, And if no one puts a hand up, I'm going to go back and read a little bit about what Christian Sundberg was coached to write and talk about from his his spiritual guides, his inner wisdom. And the quick overview with Christian was that he was about... 30 years old when he read a, a spiritual book by I think it's Thomas Campbell and he got so inspired he went and asked he contacted Thomas Campbell and said help me out and Thomas Campbell said don't look to others I'm not going to tell you about your spirituality he said just start a deep meditation practice that's the best way. Go inside yourself and ask for that source within you. And he did, and after a while, he recovered memories of a pre-life experience and eventually shared it with his wife and and then got brave and shared it with the general public because it sounds rather bizarre that you remember being in a state of awareness 
prior to coming into a physical body. And so, so the essay I'm going to read from that book today begins uh, with essay number 45 titled, Shining Through the Shadow. Now, this is a hot topic for a number of people, maybe not you, but again, I encourage people as you're listening to this to stay with your breath, to be focused on what ups and downs and tensions might be going on within you. Because many of these topics will be trigger points for people. I know a number of people who have experiences with uh, devils and devil worships and evil spirits and black energy and it goes on and on and on. And the opening line of this essay would be quite triggering for anybody who believes they've had you know, experiences with demons and external energy because the opening line here says all experiences of darkness are temporary manifestations that occur as a result of experiencing what they call here a non-native separation in other words your true nature is that you are connected to your source and to everyone and everything. And as we talk about so often in this work, we have the ability to create our own experience. So we can create an experience of being separate and separated. But that's not our deep, true state. That's not our native state. That's not our actual existence. We can't ever be separated from the source that created us. And some would call that love. So this first sentence reads, all experiences of darkness are temporary manifestations that occur as a result of experiencing non-native separation or a lack of love. There is never a lack of love. You are never disconnected from love. And yet you can create the experience of being disconnected from love. It goes on and says, love is our native state, complete, perfect, and whole. When we agree to become physical, we do so knowing that we are agreeing to participate within a set of constraints wherein, within those constraints, the native love that exists for us will be temporarily obscured from our awareness. We do this in part because how else could the truth of what is know what it is other than to actually experience what it is not? Now this is a a teaching method, um, you know, this is a, in the Socratic method, one teaches by asking a series of questions that if the student chooses to engage the questions actively, the student begins to recognize 
prior beliefs, thoughts, dogmas that, that, that he or she was carrying that are false. And so one of the ways to teach through that Socratic method is to ask somebody, are you this? Are you that? And a whole series of things that the person clearly is not. Right? Are you a tree? Are you a dog? Are you the ocean? Are you no? So by looking at the contrast between all of these things that I can clearly see I'm not, I get closer and closer or a more accurate picture of what I am. That's what they're describing here. That's how consciousness is expanding by exploring all of the things it's not. So the essay goes on and says, the constraint set that we have adopted permits us to actually experience the ability to make hard and meaningful choices even under duress within a context. And in this case, physical life is the context. The very natural result of making choices in obscurity, however, is that we often is what we often call a negative experience. We experience the effects of selfishness and greed. We experience misunderstanding, judgment, and violence. We experience pain as we are misunderstood, pain as we are mistreated, and pain as we even buy into misperceptions about what we really are. We hurt ourselves, and we often retain that hurt and then pass it on to others, person to person, parent to child. We perpetuate the pain that is in us by operating out of our pain. All of that pain is rooted in fear-based choice-making. Choice-making that naturally occurs within the context of being obscured from the complete and total love, power, joy, and acceptance that is our true native state. So how then do we heal this cycle? The answer is love. The solution is to love the individual who is experiencing obscurity, meaning who is experiencing themselves as something less than love who's having the the truth of their nature being obscured from their view. In effect, to seek to remove the obscurity by reminding the individual of the greater truth that always exists beneath the surface. Reminding the individual that he or she is wonderful, is accepted, is taken care of, is adored, is powerful, is free, and is worthy. That All of those descriptors pertain to you and everyone you meet. For ultimately, we are accepted, we are adored, and we are the Creator's love, is, and the Creator's love is always, always available to us. It's just that we've undertaken an experience wherein we have forgotten it. Love is the ultimate healing power in the universe. It is the expression 
of the wholeness and unity that is native to what we truly are. It is what we yearn for and what others around us so desperately need. We are called to be beacons of that energy of love as long as we're in this place, to personally express the divine love that exists for us and express it to each other. This is our mission while we are on our walk in the physical. Please know that regardless of the fact that you are having an experience in a place where love often appears to be obscured or absent, you can never truly be separated from the incredible love that exists specifically for you. Be assured that one day you will return to the loving foundation of your existence and you will be fully healed by that love. However, we do not need to wait until the end of our time in the physical to experience healing. In fact, we are here in this place to take a shot at seeing how we can do under these challenging constraints in the name of love for each other. Since the love of the Creator is often not immediately apparent here, we, you and I, each and every one of us, have the precious opportunity to actually shine that light of love to each other. Now, shining that light to each other, to my eye and ear, is like the ancient Aramaic definition of humility, which is the ability to look for and see the highest and best in another, and then, regardless of what's coming out of them in words and actions, choose to cooperate only with that highest and best, to see their true loving nature, their connection to source, their being, another being of brilliance and light, just like you, who's either aware of that and acting from that brilliance of brilliance and light, or they've temporarily forgotten, or they've yet to discover their brilliance. So what would your life be like if on a regular basis, day in and day out, you were asking yourself and you were asking to be shown by things outside of your conscious logical mind how you could be a blessing to yourself and others each and every day? How would that change the way you experience and interact with the flow of life and everyone around you? The asking to be shown goes against the Western mindset. And the Western mindset has been trained and conditioned to think it knows to think it knows either from religious dogma or to think it knows because of science or to think it knows because of its past experience. So the Western mindset has been trained to be only be comfortable in the knowing and the arguing about what it knows and how it knows better than others, etc. 
And as we've discussed in the past, many of us who had rather unfortunate childhoods grew up having various levels of punishment dealt out to us whenever we got something wrong. The entire education system is about trying to get it right, trying to feed back to the teacher whatever he or she just spit out in a lecture or wrote about in a book. And if we don't get it exactly right, then we are punished or we don't get the highest reward. We, you know, The highest reward of a better grade is withheld from us. Regardless of how much we're trying to learn or how um, viable our answer might be if it's different from what the teacher expects. So there's, a, there's an actual powerful conditioning against just being open and in the question, just acknowledging how little we actually know in the Western mind. So this next essay speaks to that. Essay 46 says, Acknowledging Human Ignorance. As soon as I read that, I think about what we read all last year in the Way of Mastery and how often it talks about how the fact of the matter is I don't really know much of anything and that my life will go better by leaps and bounds if I if I step into, if I recognize my divine ignorance and if I go into exercises like the Way of Mastery would Uh, suggest of picking up items throughout the day and just actively questioning observing how I don't know where this thing came from I don't know about the materials that it's made of and where they were sourced I don't know who first had the idea for this whether it's a laptop or a phone or a lamp or a pencil or a pen or a chair and to practice actively observing how little I truly know. So this essay is titled Acknowledging Human Ignorance, and it reads, The process of attempting to establish an intellectual framework to understand one's reality, that process in itself is natural and healthy. However, as we seek to intellectually gain control, so as to allay our fears, in our clamoring for answers, we often collectively or individually institute assumptions and beliefs as if they were knowledge. And my assumptions and my beliefs are not the same as knowledge. Since the dawn of our history, ignorant man has ever concocted ideas about how reality works and then declared those ideas are the truth. And ignorant man, uh, and those ideas are the truth. We have one of our group members who has written over the years. She's a writer and an artist. And she wrote something to the effect of, I've met many people over the years who've found a piece of spiritual truth 
and then after a while they begin they begin to think that that's the truth and then after a while they begin to think that's the only truth and then after a while they begin to think that they are the truth and that is disastrous so these thoughts and beliefs assumptions when we treat them as though they're knowledge or the actual truth we begin to live our lives in this very narrow small way and it's not very productive it isn't it doesn't lead to growth and learning so the next paragraph reads as we evolve we need to be humble enough to recognize how very little we truly understand the old stories we've been telling ourselves even the old stories about physical matter being what is quote most real close quotes these will need to be deeply examined and then put aside as necessary in the honest pursuit of truth we will need to recognize the limitations of our materialist science which will not be able to answer the big picture questions from within the physical we will need to be bold humble and brave enough to confront what is within us so that we may truly grow our understanding of both the internal and the external worlds and more consistently bring the truer nature of love into this reality that can't be done however until human ignorance is recognized for what it is being ignorant is not a vice but claiming knowledge where there is none is a hindrance human knowledge currently is extremely limited sure we understand a lot more about the physical rule set of this reality than we did a few hundred years ago but our understanding about reality itself about our place in not only the cosmos but within the greater dimensions in which we exist in that regard as Tom Campbell once so eloquently put it we barely have even one foot out of the cave now we've had some people who've been following us the year before last we read the course in miracles lessons from the workbook one a day for the entire year and then last year we read with commentary slowly and carefully to a degree the entire three books in the way of mastery and we've had a couple people say that this next book that we're exploring a walk in the physical by Christian Sundberg is something they probably couldn't have let themselves read or get much out of if they hadn't done the groundwork of reading the Course in Miracles and or the Way of Mastery and I agree wholeheartedly it's the kind of thing that 
I talk about when I was in college and someone recommended the book to me, The Autobiography of a Yogi. And I, my Catholic upbringing and beliefs were so rigid and strongly held within me that I, I treated that book as though it was, you know, uh, lethal radiation emanating from it. I wouldn't even go near the book. And then, many years later, having read all kinds of different things through college and after college, having been fortunate enough to have a couple good friends that would send me the latest spiritual explorations or you know, Edgar Casey writings or Seth Speaks or whatever, and they would send these to me, and only because they were coming to me from people that I had deep affection and respect for would I even stretch enough to look at some of those books. And even some of those, I would say, well, that's too far out for me. But, you know, 30 or 40 years later, I found myself reading Michael Singer's book or books and just really enjoying it and he was saying that the autobiography of a yogi was a foundational book for him so i picked up autobiography of a yogi and started reading it and lo and behold it was wonderful until (laughs) i forget that was about halfway through the book or two-thirds of the way through the book i just i just had this urge to just be sick to my stomach and put the book away and and I realized by that point in time that that was all of mine that was my catholic upbringing and and those rigid beliefs and fears that had been programmed into me so I did reality management worksheets and EFT tapping on it and a day or two later I picked up the book and was able to read it with comfort and ease again so in that same way, here we're reading a book written by Christian Sundberg and or his guides, however you want to look at it, and he references Thomas Campbell. And I would dare say that Thomas Campbell, <laughs> if most of us would have picked up Thomas Campbell, either before the Christian Sundberg book or before The Way of Mastery or before Course in Miracles, we would just think it's a joke and or we wouldn't even be able to comprehend what he's saying. But he has a, a, a trilogy of books titled My Big Toe. And I started exploring that over the weekend and um, I just kept thinking of what a couple of our listeners on this show have said about how if they hadn't done prep work in Course in Miracles in a Way of Mastery, they wouldn't be able to get much out of a walk in the physical. And so uh, if you're having a hard time with the book A Walk in the Physical, you probably don't want to go on to Thomas Campbell's books just yet. You want to do what it, whatever it takes for you to get a little bit more flexible in your understanding of how little we as human beings, not you, this isn't uh, an indictment of anybody else, 
as an individual. This is us as human beings. Our entire race, our entire culture, our entire existence as a species is extraordinarily ignorant. And that's okay, all right? Like it says, it's not a negative thing to be ignorant. It is a hindrance to claim from my ignorance that I know certain things. And or that what I what I believe and what I have been taught by one person or another is actual fact or knowledge. So uh, what's this stirring up for people? You know, I, I, as I was listening to the audio of the, the My Big Toe book, I, um, I was thinking about one of Dr. Michael Rice's lectures in which he talks about a two-dimensional being, a world of two dimensions and, and a being in that world and and what that two-dimensional being would have as an experience of a basketball, let's say. Now, if you try to imagine this, you can just take a piece of uh, regular writing paper and hold it out flat in front of you on your hands and realize that a two-dimensional being would be a being that you draw on that paper there's only left and right there's only length and width there's no depth so it's like if you draw a stick figure on the paper and then if you draw a basketball on that piece of paper and you imagine what that individual that being on that piece of paper sees if they're looking over at the basketball that you just drew all they're going to see is a straight line. And if the basketball just sits there as you've drawn it on that piece of paper, they're only going to see that one length of line. But if you could take an actual three-dimensional basketball and pass it through that person's world, what they would see is as the basketball just gets into their world, they see a very a dot or a very short line and then a little bit longer line, a little bit longer, and a little bit longer, a series of lines, but they won't see a sphere. They won't see a circle. They won't see a, a, a sphere with volume because they don't have volume. They've only got the two dimensions. They don't have the third dimension. Well, the essence of Dr. Michael Rice's talk is we have the same kinds of limitations thinking about advanced concepts and things beyond what our five senses can interpret as 
the two-dimensional person does to try and comprehend a basketball. We're only seeing a tiny slice of the world. And I mentioned this recently, one of our more um, popular scientists on social media these days was saying, look, the world is out here, the universe is out here trying to communicate with us. But we, as human beings, looking at things through just our five senses, we can't hear it. We can't feel it. We can't see it. But there are things, there are other energies. There are X-rays and gamma rays and ultraviolet and infrared and frequencies of vibration that our ears don't register higher and lower than what our ears can register. There's a lot more going on in the world than what we can perceive through our senses. And so as Thomas Campbell had told Christian Sundberg, practice some of your other senses. And David E. Martin wrote a book, Lizards Eat Butterflies, and he talked about how the metaphor of, a, or the analogy of, a, of humans as butterflies, that we start as a caterpillar and then we grow and, and, and we become more than we were, and the butterfly is so different from the caterpillars to be unrecognizable, and that we can do that kind of growth academically and spiritually, etc. He says, that's not as good an analogy as a lizard because there are several problems with the butterfly and the caterpillar. The caterpillar has to go through this voracious eating uh, stage where it disgorges itself and, and has gluttony and does a lot of damage to the environment and then, you know, and then makes a transformation if it's lucky to get out of the chrysalis or the cocoon whereas the lizard begins as a lizard and ends as a lizard but as it grows it sheds its skin it gets rid of what doesn't suit it anymore and it and it maintains its true nature and it grows in that way so he wrote that book and has some very interesting thoughts one of them is he talks about how we have these five senses and we have these 12 cranial nerves and one of of each of those cranial nerves is there for each of the five senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. And he says, if we have 12 cranial nerves and five of our physical senses, what would it be like if we were to explore... What are the other seven cranial nerves for? Are they for perceiving things and in different ways? What if we can develop senses beyond the five physical senses? And what if it's we're uh, hardwired, we're pre, pre-wired for it? What if when... We have children and they have stories about seeing people that we can't see or hearing things that we can't hear or seeing people's auras. Or What if instead of telling them that's wrong, that can't be, 
you're making it up, it's fantasy. What if we encourage them to explore what is there for a lot of children when they're young, and they were learned, they were coached into developing those other senses other than solid physical senses. So the invitation with this work, whether it's from Christian Sundberg or Michael Singer or Thomas W. Campbell, is expand your learning, personal learning and knowing, with scientific rigor, with experimentation, with going inside and asking to be taught, with questioning beliefs, dogmas, you know, well-rehearsed thoughts, laying yourself open to new worlds of exploration within and without. Thomas uh, Campbell talks about in his book, The Big Toe, that he has had hard scientific experimentation that he's done and done with others on astral projection or out-of-body experiences and distance viewing and and that they've been building on this, that certain people have been reach, researching this and building on this for decades. And they understand that they're just at the tip of the iceberg for, or maybe a snowflake on top of an iceberg, for what the potential is. And once we walk through a door and see that, oh my gosh, there's a whole other room here, or there's a whole other world of potential here. For those of us who've been trained in the Western mindset, that is very challenging. Some of us might develop quite a bit of fear. Some of us might feel as though we are being threatened. Some of us might rush back to our addiction with the familiar or our addiction with judging rather than keep our breath moving and flowing and stay wide open to this new experience. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if that discussion hasn't stirred something for somebody on the call with, I don't know, 10 or 11 callers on the line, I don't know what will. Maybe we need to talk about baseball. <laughs> baseball season's going. So 563-999-3581. Or if you're listening to this in the archives and you want to raise a question or make a comment, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. What are your thoughts? How is this landing for you? How, how challenging is it? Or is it not challenging at all and just kind of exciting about 
thinking about what you might learn, what we might learn individually and collectively as we stay more open and acknowledge how little we do know. There's another essay here that I know I've read before, but it's titled Intent Versus Action. And it reads, from the divine perspective, what is important is not necessarily what we do, but why we do it. Our deepest intent is what matters. Our deepest intent is always totally unobscured and plainly obvious to the spirit. In fact, every intent we've ever held and every action we've ever taken in our lives is clearly remembered by the whole, capital W-H-O-L-E. And when our lives are reviewed after their completion, what is applauded is not necessarily what we did, but when we truly acted from selflessness and love. Genuine, unconditionally loving intent is the key, not necessarily the actions themselves. But loving intent will eventually lead to loving action. Intent causes action. Personal, personally mobilized action cannot take place without intention. When we pass, when we drop the body, we will be fully aware of the full impact that we had on everyone that we ever affected in our entire lives. That impact will include the many effects that our physical actions had on others. But furthermore, our impact far surpasses even the effects of our actions. Our intent itself, our energy of love itself, has a tone that rings out through creation. We are communicating with and nudging this reality and nudging each other with, quote, who we really are, close quotes. And we're doing that every day. That's also a significant part of the impact we have while we are here. In that sense, also, our intention is action. So please be brave while you're here, not only to discern the many effects of your actions, but also the quality of your intent for what you really are. The love or fear that you really carry has far more impact than you can see with your physical eyes. You know, I, I started smiling to myself, almost chuckling as I read that, because they're, they're talking about how as a person drops the body, their, li their life flashes in front of their eyes. Now, Try to think about this. Just try this as a little thought experiment for yourself. As you sit here now, consciously aware, are you able to remember everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, every interaction with every person? Now, I don't know what's true for you. I do know for myself that, that just there are times when I have difficulty remembering 
what's on my to-do list for the day, what I did yesterday, what happened two weeks ago. So if I'm willing to engage this experiment and just play around with it to spend five minutes, ten minutes if you're feeling really generous, and try to review your life start to finish, what happens when I do that is I get flashes, little bits of things. And they're usually related to triggers in my life in the, in the recent past. But I certainly don't have anything like full recall. You know, it's, it's hard for me to remember the names of some of the people I went to high school with that when I see them at a reunion, they, they say, oh, Tim, and I, I um, okay, help me out here. What's your name? The point of this exercise is to understand that if there's any truth whatsoever to this age-old report that when people die or when they're in a near-death experience, when they're, you know, involved or watching a car accident that's close to them, their life flashes before their eyes. In that experiment, if there's any truth to that, my life in its entirety flashing before my eyes, what it means is my ability to know and experience and be conscious of things goes way beyond what my conscious logical mind can hold on to or process in any moment. And so there's another experiment you could run to verify for yourself that there's a lot more going on here than what your conscious logical mind can process. Thomas Campbell talked about how he was he was in grad school I believe and and they had this flyer that he saw for transcendental meditation and for 20 bucks they said you could do all these wonderful things the only one he was interested in was you could do with less sleep you could have clarity and focus and you and and you wouldn't need as much sleep so he paid his 20 bucks and he was a scientist he was a physicist and he was just you know very very skeptical but it's only 20 bucks that was a significant amount of money back then it's interesting to note that he's about nine years older than me and when i did the transcendental meditation 10 years later 12 years later it was 220 bucks but anyway he paid it he went and his first experiment with transcendental meditation he had what he calls zero point experience so he he lost track of time he lost a sense of who he was as a person and so there was something real in it and he kept doing it he kept practicing it and pretty soon he realized that he could use it to tap into insights intuitions problems answers to his problems in physics etc and so he would go home 
after work frustrated stuck on a problem or some computer programming thing and go into a meditation and come out of the meditation with the answer to the problem at work. And eventually what he did was he got to the point where he would start doing it at work. He would leave the office, go into the restroom or whatever, go into a closet, and, and, and eventually people started coming to him for answers. He was like the golden boy now because he would go into a meditative state and come back with solutions to problems that they could not come up with at the conscious logical level. And eventually he became known as the absent-minded professor because he learned to do it on demand. He could go into several different levels of brainwave states and each would have a different functionality. And he would just kind of go blank and be staring off into space. People would assume he'd fallen asleep with his eyes open or his eyes closed and they would try and interact with him to no avail until he would come out of it And he eventually learned to walk fairly fluidly between these various energetic states, whether it's a brainwave state or a consciousness state. And that is part of how he got so successful at his work, is that he was tapping into um, an intelligence that was not his conscious logical intelligence. So experiment with it. That's the invitation. Find ways to be honest about how little you know and question for yourself. And one way, one one challenge that came up earlier in the discussion today is, how would your life be different if on a regular basis, day in and day out, you ask yourself, How can I extend love in this situation? How can I be a blessing to myself and others? In the mundane situations of going to the grocery store and in the more intense situations of, you know, being around somebody who's just had a car accident or someone who comes to you in grief or in rage, rather than go into your conscious logical mind thinking, what have I read in my psychology or my sociology book about how to help somebody through their grief? Instead of staying at that conscious logical level trying to ground it out or grind it out, how about what happens, just watch for yourself if you're willing to do this experiment, what happens in your life if you start asking actively in the moment from some source other than your conscious logical mind how to be a blessing? How to be a blessing to yourself and others. So we're down to our last minute or so. Um, Thank you all for being here and listening. I uh, don't see any connection with Michael or Jeannie, but I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love, this energy of creation expressing as form. And everything else is false. And I will hope that Michael and or Jeannie are here soon. I will hang up in case Michael is trying to get on board. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.
Hi, and welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Monday, May the 1st, 2023. And their calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into the talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we've got Aria today, and we're just having a good conversation with her. And so Michael has gone to get on the switchboard. And so Jeannie, uh, yeah. I, uh, I I called back in to make sure that the show was going to run because sometimes if, when you're not available, Michael tries to call in, and he can't when I'm on the line. And gotcha. when you were talking, there's a uh, a fluttering or a noise. Oh, no. So okay. after Michael's uh, on, you, you might want to hang up and call back in just to see if the connection's any different. I will do that. Thank you for letting me know. All right. Have a great show. Thanks. Okay. So, um, first of all, I will say that I was finally able to, to get all of the questions answered and Google satisfied so that they would um, not stop our app. And it took me a while to actually figure out what was going on. But it's that, you know, if someone says, save me to your mailing list, or even like on the website, if it says, save me, you know, click, save me to your mailing list, you are giving us permission to add you to our database. And our database is held by a company called Constant Contact. And so I had to include that there was a party but that they didn't use your data and that it was still safe and protected and private. And it's actually only the information you give us voluntarily, your name, email, phone number. And we only use that for our newsletters. So that seemed to satisfy them once I acknowledged that. And so we are good to go. So appreciate you all holding the space for that. And Michael's on the phone now. And Dr. Kim said I was kind of fluttery sounding. So you take off and I'm going to hang up and dial back in. Okay, sweetie. So welcome, everybody, to MindShifters Radio. Delighted and honored that you're here and uh, appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation one more time and hopefully together refine our understanding of this uh, just most amazing technology that, um, that gives us access to the deepest hidden levels of our own minds. And the things that, you know, our culture teaches us and, and actually has us tend to run away from, uh, you know, the, the tendency to point the finger at someone else for the way we're using our own minds and then to try to escape from whatever's going on in our world rather than recognize that we're creators and this is part of the creative process. And so this... Uh, it's just the more I think about it over the years with all the the work that I've done over the last 50 or so years in this field, when I realized the monumental impact of this man named Yeshua and what he brought to the world that sadly has been totally and completely deleted, actually worse than deleted, it's been turned backward, inside out, upside down. And the the essence of it has been so lost that it's just crazy. 
especially since it's the key to getting back to a same mind. And sane mind is the, the mind of love in us that is the, the core of what we're designed to live in. You know, we live in a structure in our minds that turns so much backward because of the backward programming of the mind. And there's an interesting quote from a gentleman named Alberto Villoldo. And he says this, evolution requires awakening to that self that remembers all is connected. You know, Einstein says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. And guess what? That person that you dislike, that person you can't stand, guess what? You're part of them. They're part of you. It's an optical delusion that they're separate from you. And whatever it is that you're building your brain's image out of them, that you don't like them, that you can't stand them, you can't be around them, you can't hear their voice, is something in you. Otherwise, as love, you'd simply be there as that space. So this optical delusion of separateness is such a key. And so again, from Alberto, evolution requires awakening to the self that remembers it's all connected. Us, the earth, nature, and her creatures, our hearts and our heads, our energy, and all the particles that make up the body we inhabit for now. You know, there's kind of a, a knuckle-walking, quadruped view of existence that's totally self-centered, exclusionary, push everybody else out that you can't control. And when under stress, individuals holding that view are destructive to virtually everything that they, t- they touch. You know, oftentimes this person's flush with possessions, and they think that they're, they're so blinded that they think that their possessions make them successful. It becomes the definition of success, you know. You look at most of the culture, and all the average person needs to look at is, oh, they've got money, they must, they're successful. doesn't address the fact that, you know, maybe their children are on the verge of committing suicide or their marriages are in rageful, you know, pain on an ongoing basis. So we can be blinded by that. Blinded by greed and self-centeredness, if you think you're taking care of self as you use wealth to consume, usually that consumption is a cover for some kind of an inner void. And as we, as, as non-humans, so many contribute daily to the destruction of the very home, the planet. How many planets would it take to support the rich person's lifestyle? You know, we hear about somebody who's got the home here and the home there and the castle there and the, you know. For that person, it would take 20 Earths, the natural resources of 20 planets to sustain them. 
while others barely eat. What are we really here for? When we get into that inclusionary view, which is cosmic-centered, it allows us, supports us functioning as human beings where there is compassion, there is care for not only the self, but for others. So where are we going as a species, as human beings? You know, we've been set, set apart. It's, it's kind of a, a function of this Western culture that ends up in this separate self. Or back, oh, I don't know, a year or so ago, I was reading a book on um, Native American history and how the Native Americans who lived in community were separated from each other. And one of the things that was done gave each Native American land. So now instead of living in a community, someone who went, oh, this makes me wealthy. I've got my own piece of land. And all of a sudden, the community was scattered. The community was separated. Everybody had their own piece of land. You know, somebody had their piece of land over here and somebody over here and somebody over there and somebody over there. And all of a sudden, the community was dead. And as we have heard over the last few years, someone came up, I don't even know who said it, but someone came up with the thought of, it takes a community to raise a child. And that truly is what we need, is community. And there are certainly a lot of people out there pushing the fear program. You know, one of the, the things, and I certainly understand it from one point of view, but it's really a tragedy and something that a lot of people need to wake up to. You know, our granddaughter came home in tears a few months back and really terrorized that somebody was going to break into her house because at school they'd done a program called Stranger Danger, teaching that strangers were dangerous rather than cells in their own bodies. And when we eject people from our lives even from our attention, what is it we're contributing to in terms of the violent response that comes so often that feeds that loop of separation? To me, the genius of this tool that was offered to us by this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, that encouraged, supported, and made possible becoming fully acquainted with one's own unconscious dynamics, which oftentimes goes back so many generations that, that are long forgotten, but the content is still there. And that this man had the knowledge of how to come back into relationship with that within us, to me, is just amazingly profound.
And so that forgiveness tool, that tool that uh, allows the collapse of the human mind. You know, I, I think back and what I was taught as a kid about forgiveness, and there was nothing to do with this idea of dropping into one's own unconscious dynamics and cleaning up one's own multi-generational database. And yet each generation that does not do that steps farther and farther and farther away from the possibility of actual community, which I think is part of what allows people to step into consumerism and, you know, wanting to gather more stuff rather than being in community, rather than being in relationship with others. If the number of beings on the planet is one, inhabiting billions of forms, expressing through billions of forms, what's our place in that as human beings? Why did each and every one of us start out exactly the same way as the active presence of love witnessed by the fact if you hold a newborn child and you tap into the essence of that newborn, you know exactly what it is that you're dealing with. You're dealing with the conscious active presence of love. We all started out there. What happened that we've lost awareness of that? And what can you do about it? Why is this happening to me again? And what you can do about it? So our objective is to extend, share, spread these tools based in first century Aramaic forgiveness that empower and support each person in coming in contact with what is carried from the generations that never belonged within a human structure. And supports the release, the removal of those energetic patterns. Called forgiveness. Nothing to do with the Greek idea of pardoning, but actually the removal of what never belonged within the human structure. So delighted that you're here to be with us for this conversation. And Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Hello, Jeannie. I think I can hear you talking, but uh, you're not coming through the you got your mute button. I guess button if on? I mute myself. Yeah, when I called yeah, back in, I didn't on the switchboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, we do have a hand up now, but uh, there was a gentleman that I was talking with earlier this morning, and um, there was a situation where at what point, you know, he like makes plans with his children and his grandchildren, and then they change the plans like at the last minute. And then he kind of goes along with it, and then they change him again. And he feels like it's manipulation, um, and it's totally changing his programming, his scheduling, but he feels like if he doesn't go along with it, that what's going to 
happen is that then he's not going to be able to see his grandchildren. And so does he mm. give in to his daughter and his son and do what they want in order to see his grandchildren? Or at what point does he stand up and say, no, uh, my consider, you know, I'm going to be part of this consideration and my plans and my travel and my day, days, and we're going to do it this way or like we originally planned to do it. And, but then he's concerned that if he does that, then they'll say, you know, okay, then just never mind. Don't come. Right. Um, so I, I put him to work doing a responsibility communication um, and looking at, I told him, I said, they're both, the, both children are doing a power person dynamic, whether they're yours or their mother's. And he said, probably a little of both. But then he's also getting, like, the former wife doesn't want to be there when he's there. And so that's also putting pressure on the son and daughter. You know, if she's going to be there for a certain event, then she doesn't want him there. And so I have to do some responsibility communication, whether you send it to her or not, one to your former and explaining, you know, what that brings up for you, and then doing some worksheets around what it brings up for you, and then do responsibility communication to your daughter and son about them trying to manipulate your time, whether it's unconsciously of their own accord or whether it's because they're trying to appease their mother or whatever, and I said, see what comes up from those. Would you have any other, I'm going to be talking to him later this evening, do you have any other advice for directing on that? Yeah, the other thought is to look at, you know, it sounds like the dynamic that's going on with the children is the ability to commit. And so I would be asking, especially since he's the parent and perhaps a power person in the scenario, is was is commitment has commitment ever been a problem for him? And is that an issue that perhaps he needs to do some work on to open the space, one, to be able to communicate more clearly with his children, and two, to uh, to clean up any part of him that may be involved in that dynamic. So how does keeping commitments work? And has that ever been an issue? And then when, you know, when I hear the word, I don't know whether he used the word manipulation or not, but if the word manipulation came yes, into the conversation, then then would be the invitation to ask, you know, is there a projection in that? Has anybody ever felt manipulated? Has anybody ever said that he's manipulative? And if so, then to do some work around that and see what uh, what is uncovered and gets to be cleaned out. So they'd be the directions. I'd go with it. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. And uh, Miss Susan, area code 610, you are on the air. Hello, guys. Oh, man, where to start? Yeah. First of all, Michael, your intro is heartbreaking. It's just I've been thinking about the same things. And, you know, I think of being judgmental is kind of an addiction, and yet I do feel a twinge, that grab of judgment, judging when 
you know, the the guy comes out of Costco with a cart full of single-use plastic bottles, and I'm thinking, where is your brain? You know, I have to go through literally a mental worksheet right on the spot and right. catch yes. myself being judging because it goes, we're getting invited. To, I'm getting invited to be judging a, a lot because of the insult to the planet that's going on all the time. So anyway, the way you put it, you didn't sound critical. You sounded heartbroken. And maybe maybe that's how we all feel. But anyway, thanks for that. And then what Jeannie said, she gave the advice she gave, and then your added advice to that man, God, in five minutes, you get the best advice anywhere. <laughs> that's good. So... <laughs> Anyway, I've been listening to, kind of stumbled, no, didn't stumble on it, a friend of mine, uh, drew my attention to a man named John St. Julian Baba Wanyama. Now, don't try to write that, Jeannie. Forget about it. That's a big one. (laughs) In any case, he calls himself a Christian mystic and i would add that he's a universalist mystic he has a tasmanian accent or some odd accent but he lives in tanzania now and he has started this enormous um school but it's more than a school it's like a living arrangement for children who have been rejected in that culture because they have disabilities, physical and mental and emotional. And he has set up, just because he was visiting there, I guess, and he he saw this situation and started helping and then started raising money. And the money just poured in. And he has this enormous, beautiful uh, operation going there. Meanwhile, he what he's doing is the tools. He's He's another one of those people on the edge of the planet who found his way to the tools in his own way. And he says, first off, you develop, you realize that you are made of love and that you must love no matter what. You must always love, first and foremost, love the stranger, love the familiar, love the person who's bad acting because they need love if they're bad acting. And I've been listening to him, and one thing he said, which I just thought was so helpful, he said, don't pray to God to help you with a problem. He said, get out of there. Get out of that equation. Bring God to the problem. And he said, you're going to ask me, how do you do that? He said, even that is a question that the ego asks. And step the ego away. I can't tell you how you do that. Just step out of the way and bring God to the problem. So I've been practicing bringing in my sloppy way. I've been practicing what he said. But I just thought that was a very neat, um, beautiful thing. And, of course, we have situations around the house here which I'm bringing God to the problem all over the place. So... Anyway, that's many times a minute sometimes, right? (laughs) It's like nonstop. Um, But 
practicing the the Prattervand book that Tim Hayes interviewed him and everything. Right. It's been a huge help because you can just do that. No matter what kind of criticism you're feeling, the criticism comes from a part of you where you're not in the blessing mode. So if you think, I love you and I bless you, you're already shifted into your heart. And as soon as you're in your heart, there's a huge adjustment. There's a change. And I've been telling myself, too, that man who is doing that is me. I'm doing that. That also helps dissipate the the judgment because then I can align with him and then I can feel for everybody, the planet, him and me and everybody, which is just a, a good thing. But we've also had a few life changes around here, and I wanted to talk to you about that unless you want to say something because I'm on a roll here. <laughs> I can't okay, be well, quiet for a second. Before we move to another topic, my uh, my listening, of course, you probably know what I would say when when you repeat that someone says you just have to love somebody. That of course that's never, never happened and never will happen. It can't happen. But mm-hmm. but what I hear is his advice on the second question is exactly the answer to being love to functioning as Mm -hmm. love in our lives rather than pretending we can love somebody. Bring Mm -hmm. God to the problem. Bring love to the problem is the correct correct answer to me across the board as opposed to loving them. And, you know, when when I look at that first law, when Yeshua, they say to Yeshua, what's most important? If you're going to function as a human being, what's most important in the law? He doesn't say to love God neighbor as self. He, in fact, says keep this gateway in your mind open that allows you to bring love to the problem, bring God to the forefront, literally through your mind. Great reminder. So while I would I would disagree with his first premise, his second premise answers it. Yes, bring, yeah. bring love to mind continuously until mm. the mind just shuts up and you live out mm-hmm. of that state of being. You know, I think I've shared on the show a few times that a project they started that's now been going on for, I'm not even sure now, somewhat less than a year of letting go of perception, of letting go of memory, and how that's impacting. And I find that I do less ruminating through the past in my mind and more... I'm not even sure how to express it. You know, it's like the, it's hard to put into words. But just to function in that state without reference to the past, which, you know, just everything we do basically as, you know, in our human culture at this stage is virtually everything's a reference to the past. Mm-hmm whether it's definitions of words, you know, wherever we go, whatever it is, it's all about the past. And if if we're playing out of the past, then the present isn't present. So I like his second answer. It's just a long way of saying, I like his second answer. Uh, I think the first answer, although it's a, not an easy conversation to have. I think the first answer 
is one that needs to be corrected for all of us all the time. Mm, very good point. That's very helpful. So you had another thought? Well, yeah. Um, well, a couple of things. You're saying there are changes happening. and Some changes are happening. Um, I have pretty much lost the use of my left hand for a while because I snapped a tendon. Um, it's the hand that where I had a broken wrist five years ago and it's got a metal plate in there and it always felt a little right. funny and very, very weak. And I picked up a, a cook pot the other day and something snapped. And I've seen the doctor Ouch. and he said he could do an operation, but it's about 50-50 chance of success. And he said, can you, can you get along without the use of your mainly index finger? But um, the hand is very, very weak, and I can't play the piano. So I'm thinking, you know, I was complaining to you about how I couldn't get motivated to practice classical music. Well, now I have a reason. <laughs> I'm actually quite happy to have a reason Ouch. to not have to um, play the piano. And I'm just curious about it. It's a pretty it's high not- cost. It is a high cost, and I'm going to need that hand. And it's every day. It's getting a little better and I'm just hopeful so I'm not going to do the operation at least yet I'm going to wait a while but that got we'll me hold the space thanks Michael um, it got Tim and me to thinking you know we have this house and you know what houses are like they're a lot of work yes. and we decided we should probably look into some sort of independent slash continuing care living situation around right. here uh, and we found one right away near my church. It's a nonprofit, which is so amazing. Uh, it's beautiful. It's simple. It's a real community. You're talking about a community as soon as we walked in. It's a very good feeling in there. So we're we're filling out applications and probably will put this formal application in in a year or two because once you're on that list and if your name comes up, They'll put you just below the first name if you say no, but you can only do that a few times where they just put you at the bottom of the list again. Because we've got animals here. We've got Michael here. And so my next thing is we're looking for affordable care housing for Michael. Um, He has decided he just cannot live out of his car or a van ever again. It's too stressful, uncertain, dangerous. So um, anyway, we're we're sort of looking, and I'm waiting for a phone call. So if I, if I have to get off, but there's a woman who's connected with Section Eight housing up here, which she couldn't possibly afford. But we're going to try to work with them to see whether there isn't some sort of way that he could be placed so he's safe and can have his dog and. All that stuff. So Ryan. that's the latest news. I just because you, I consider you my pals. I have to report on life. Well, thank you. Going on. <laughs> well, thank you for letting us know, and uh, we'll certainly hold the space for Michael to uh, to find suitable, affordable, sensible housing for himself. And yeah. uh, you, you might just, in, in terms of the hand, yeah. 
you might do an inquiry of your own mind, and that is, is is your resistance to practice, is, is that in any way, shape, or way, or form contributed to creating this problem with the hand? And, you know, if you do that inquiry and clean it up, then you might be able to allow the hand to heal in a different way than would be the norm because the interfering pattern would be out of the way. And then Mm -hmm. you could just choose not to practice instead of having to do that. I know. (laughs) I know. know, I was talking to myself about how dumb that is. Come on. I don't have to practice. I can retire. I'm retired. But I need my hands to play my own chancel operas. I've got a gig coming up. I'm supposed to perform it. can't do it. You know, I do want that hand back. Oh, yes, that's a good idea to say what what gives. I also got some magnets. I heard that putting magnets on there might help. This is just, you know, fly by night. I don't know anything about them, but a friend of mine is does biomagnetic work. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, so that's the end of that report. Well, we'll hold the space that um, whatever has to happen on all levels for that to be restored okay. happens. You know, the the yeah. the perfect pattern of the attachment of whatever it was that snapped loose, or it's mm-hmm. a tendon or muscle or whatever it was, the perfect pattern for that attachment and that function is still there. And you might do some visualization of that pattern energetically coming forward to restore that tissue structure. Hmm. And that that yeah, might I be helpful to... in... The doctor said, I've got this metal plate in there, and he said that metal plate is a problem. It's like a, a blocker and interference. And he said if right. he did operate, he'd pull the plate out. He said the bones have repaired. You don't need the plate. And I'm picturing that without the plate, maybe there would be some way of healing. But I don't want to even – he said it's so iffy. He said if I don't recommend it. He was great. You know, he's not one of these nice, happy <laughs> surgeons. Very cautious. Right, right. Well, hold the space that, you know, if there's any guidance that is possible for you, to energetically restore the perfect pattern that it's able to go back and and redo itself. It's uh, it's amazing to watch how and, and I'm thinking right now we just actually Jeannie had gone out last week and bought some grapevines and it was quite amazing that from the time she was at the uh the garden supply place that she bought them at to she got home these seemingly I mean they're obviously alive vines but they're kind of inanimate and they're just and they had actually already attached to the carpet in the car oh my god it's like this impetus for life and if there's any way you've interfered with that impetus for life, the intelligence is there. You know, there was a time when you didn't even have that bone or that tendon, 
It was just mm-hmm. a single cell, but but there was an intelligence there that knew how to grow it and make it perfect. And mm-hmm. there's something that's interfered, whether it's something physical, mental, emotional, whatever, that it be relieved that, that you listen to Ruka and see if there's some guidance and then how to strengthen and restore the perfect pattern, the image, the, the vibratory energy behind the physical, the thing that comes first and patterns the physical to allow that to come forward in expression to do the repair. Uh, happy to space mm. I hold for you. Thanks. That's good. Oh, thank you. And it sounds like the uh, the idea of being in, being in some kind of a it sounds like you're thinking of an assisted living type facility. Sounds like it would probably be a, a big relief and uh, and uh, a load off of your shoulders that would give you more vitality and life energy for the things that uh, that are most interesting at this stage in your life. Yeah, it starts out as independent living. You're just living in a in a community of people. You have your own space. Uh, and right. one meal one meal a day is offered. And Tim was saying, yeah, it's in a big dining room. And I'm saying, yay, I don't have to cook. So so yeah. uh, <laughs> he says, I'm not ready. And I say, okay, we can compromise. I'm not quite ready either. Um, <laughs> but in any case, I love the idea, too, of just unloading the stuff in this house. We don't have that much. We live pretty sparely. But saving the kids the trouble of having to sell our house and get rid of our stuff when they are so massively busy. It would just be, I'm right. sure, a relief to them to have their parents sort of taken care of. And then it's continuing care. You get sick, you go into an infirmary type of situation. You've got support. And if you run out of, yeah, and if you run out of money, she said, we don't ever let you go. And it's not nearly as expensive as some places, but it isn't cheap either. But we figured what with Allentown, Lehigh Valley taxes up here, and we don't have a mortgage, but we have huge taxes, um, we'd probably be spending about the same amount in there as we are here by the month. Well, you free up the asset of your house. Yeah, right. That's that's pretty cool. That's that's a similar facility where Jeannie's dad was. He was in memory care because of his uh, short-term memory um, lapse. Uh, But Mm -hmm. on the other side of the facility, there were people who lived there because it was easier than doing their own homes. There was a time in their lives where they wanted that freedom and, uh, you know, they had whatever level of care they needed. If somebody was needed to help with medication or what have you, they were there. And otherwise, they just, um, you know, were kind of a little more footloose and fancy free. I know. That's the way the people seemed. And my church is right down the, the road. I could walk there. The park where we walk nice. the dogs is right nearby. My son's in a mile away. We could still walk his dog. It's really pretty nice. So mm. anyway, but it feels we'll like hold the space at the right timing. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, any report on uh, any of the uh, the grandsons? How they're doing? Well, how's Luke doing yeah. in his? recovery process and being back in school and really well his father though 
uh, he ran into his father at a concert for their, my daughter and his youngest boy. And Luke didn't even recognize him. Michael, I don't know if you know this phenomenon, but that man has changed his looks many times. The young man that we met doesn't look anything like the guy he is now. He's got a whole new mouth of very white teeth, and he's lost a lot of weight and become very tanned. My daughter said she looked right at him and didn't know who he was. And Mm, there he was. And it's I don't know what that is, but in any case, Luke has not been in any kind of touch with him because he, as a power person, was really, really the hardest on Luke. Now the father is inviting Luke to lunch, wanting to take Luke places, and Luke is having a lot of anxiety being near his dad and having his dad wanting all this contact. So my daughter is kind of nervous. She thinks Luke is fragile, and she hopes he'll be able to stay in his program and continue to get really well. But So Luke is in a precarious position, and then Jacob is very much in contact with his father, and his father says the worst things about uh, his former wife, my daughter, and about us. So Jacob is loaded yeah. for bear. He's, right. he's find, finding fault with us calling us abusive and calling us this, that, and the other, narcissistic and, uh, you know, self-centered, manipulative. <laughs> I love what you said. Projection. You should ask the men. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, oddly enough, Jacob still calls me and texts me and sends me his songs, but I'm the only one he's in touch with, and... <clears throat> I hold the space of love, and I listen to him a lot, and I do make a suggestion now again very gently and couching it with praise all around so that he'll be receptive. And I think he's, well, I could just say we haven't lost him yet. He's still still there. Staying connected. That's awesome. Well, the thought comes with Luke to, uh, oh, go ahead, excuse me. No, that's okay. To say what you were going to say. Well, I was just going to say that it might be a good time to have a, a, a kind of an <clears throat> advanced conversation with Luke about what causes stress, and that oh, yeah. it's stress that you know, quote unquote, drives people to drink. And if he recognizes, especially now that Dad's back in his life, that he's got goals that. Yeah. You know, whatever they might be to, you know, whether it's even to stay away from dad or to get dad's approval or whatever it is, that just to be aware that any time his stress starts to build, he can start canceling those goals to keep himself in a, a range where he can stay clean and sober. That's good. That's good. I haven't been much in touch with him. He's in very good touch with my daughter and he just got his driver's license having crashed two cars in drunken driving situations. He had lost his license and he had to, um, he had to go through a lawyer and there was a warrant for his arrest and all kinds of weird things up where he used to be. They got that all ironed out and he has a new, very, very, very secondhand old jalopy and his driver's license back. And he's thrilled because he's going to work this summer 
uh, and he can drive to work and stuff like that. So he's in good shape. It's just, whew, boy, Sounds like he's appreciating things. Yeah, he is. He is. He says, I love my new life, Mom. I love it. I'm never going back. And he's he's a, a sponsor for a couple of people in the now AA that's program. that's awesome. That's Isn't awesome. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, fabulous. He loves it. He wants Very to do cool. it all his life. And he still says those worksheets we did, only two or three, he said, they really, really saved me from the abyss. Yeah. Sweet. It is sweet. It's also sweet to well, know that. When you talk to him, tell him we said hello and send our love. I will. And it's just great that you can do one worksheet or two worksheets and you think you've lost them and you haven't. I know it goes the other way sometimes. People drop away, but this one's stuck. He's, he's stuck. That's awesome. Congratulations, yeah. Orb. That's pretty awesome. You too. Yeah. <laughs> you too. All right. You have a blessed one. Thanks. You too, Michael. Right. We appreciate you. Lots of love. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We have another hand up, and it's area code 828. I believe it's Miss Martha. Welcome. Hello, hello. It's been a long time since we talked on the phone. Welcome. How do you be, young lady? What's exciting in your world? Oh, my goodness. It's spring and everything is growing and it's gorgeous and the orchids are blooming and and Chuck is out there making vegetable wonderland everywhere. And so <laughs> it's all good. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the time is short, so I wanted to, the reason I'm calling is um, because some years ago, I think 2019, wow, that's when it happened, um, I uh, put together a, a little version of the worksheet for myself, and I right. used, <laughs> I used parts of of things that you had in other worksheets and tried to pull together what really appealed to me. And at this point, and, and I haven't been using it, I've been using your other versions uh, for several years, and I thought, oh, let me see what that's like, and I won't, I've been using it again. And I, I realized there are some things that I want to uh, change about it. For instance, uh, where I have, um, I choose to love truth instead of love, I'm going to change that to honor, <clears throat> honor truth and take responsibility for the realities my mind has created. So that's one, one particular um, change. And the one I'm calling to ask you about is, now let me see where it is. It's the part of the worksheet that, I don't remember which one it was, where you you asked us as we were going through the worksheet to, um, okay, um, to produce a loving thought that I could embrace about my trigger and a loving thought right. I can embrace myself. And I realized, I think, that a loving thought is not possible. That, you know, it's kind of like saying, be loving toward each other. Is that possible? Is a loving thought possible? Well, 
I, I would refine the language now, several years after mm -hmm. we had that in the worksheet, and that would be that to come up with thoughts based in love. You know, thoughts that come, another way to say it might be thoughts that come from the mind of Christ in me rather than carbon-based memory. And <laughs> that's, that's, I'm laughing because, you know, having put together 1,000 million worksheets, how important it is to be sparse with the words because the page gets filled up so quickly. Right. <laughs> so right. that was a really good suggestion, and I probably won't be using all of those words. How about if I would simply say, um, start with a... Um, 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 let me see, which word was I thinking of? I thought of kind, but then I also thought of positive, a positive thought that I can embrace or remember about myself and about the other person. Well, I'll tell you what, let, let's go back to the reason why that step is in the worksheet or was put in the worksheet in the first place. Okay. And you'll note the thing that you do just before that is you reset Rachma. And in resetting Rachma, that filter that brings active present love into human form, the reason why the the thought was put in to come up with a, a loving thought toward self, a loving thought toward or about self, a loving thought toward or about other, was to verify that, in fact, Rachma was open, that you were thinking differently than from carbon-based memory in the past. Okay. Um, and I stated it a, a bit differently. Maybe this is not to the point, but um, let's see if this fits. Um, okay. Yeah, I lifted this part of one of your... your um, now, forget that. That's a different place. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting myself confused looking at this. Um, okay, so the way I stated it was, I choose to begin restoring the condition of love to my mind, which stirs the love in all parts of myself and all other beings, starting with a loving thought I can embrace about myself and about my trigger. So that's the reasoning I put behind it, too. Yeah. to begin with, knowing that to get the mind thinking in, in that way coming from the right. Christ consciousness. So, I, would, I would hear maybe shifting those last few words to a thought based in love. doesn't sound like adding uh -huh. too much more okay. to the page, but a thought based in love and that I'm always, you know, keying it to that other mind in me. Okay, and I'm yeah. just, let's just take a second and breathe on it and just see if there's something else to put in place with that. Another intuitive thought that comes in is to somehow tie in the idea of embracing. Uh, yeah, I have you know, that word in there. Starting with a yeah. loving thought I can embrace about myself and about my trigger. So rewording that would be a thought based in love 
that I can embrace about myself and my triggers. Or maybe even use the word embrace as the adjective for the thought. Because in, in carbon-based memory, in ego thoughts, the, the thoughts are of a rejecting kind. And so the, a, a descriptor for this thought might be one that a, a thought that is something along the lines of a thought that empo- not needing all these words, but empowers me to embrace an, an, an all-embracing thought, an embracing. It seems like using that word more for the adjective of the thought would take us closer to getting to thoughts based in love. Okay, so I'm so like I'm word. open and embracing myself okay. with this thought. I'm okay. open and embracing okay. this other person with this thought. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to. So maybe rather than a loving thought, just an embracing thought. Literally using embracing to be, you know, mm-hmm. the, the visual mm-hmm. that comes to my mind is, you know, when we're in ego, it's constriction, it's closing, it's, it's putting somebody outside the circle. And this thought yeah. is one that embraces, fully embraces myself, fully embraces the person I'm doing this worksheet around. Okay. I like that. An embracing thought. Um, that, that seems like it's more on track yeah. with, you know. Yeah. It, it certainly is more encompassing, more embracing. <laughs> yeah. Embracing, yes. yes. Like All embracing love. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll work on that. And if I can, I'll check back with you, and um, we can see. Please do, and please, and please send me a copy. Yeah, yeah. And if I have okay. any other thoughts, or if I have any other embracing thoughts to add to it, I'll, I'll certainly share them with you. <laughs> I, I really funny. appreciate how you are always in the inquiry and refining and I appreciate the fact that I get to share that space with you because it's a gift to both of us. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome it's and awesome. deserving. And and it's so nice to have my four year old mind appreciated. The the mind that's always asking, Why? How come? Mm. How? <laughs> thank you, dear. <laughs> okay. Well that's that's great. I like that. I have Takes to, the community. I like this done. Yeah, fortunately, we've got it recorded if you need to go back over it, too. Super. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> Anything else exciting happening out there before, besides all those wonderful things? We've, we're have we just uh, oh. working on and getting our fourth garden going here, so we're doing some of that food stuff. We planted several brassicas yeah. the other day. We've been cutting and devouring the... Uh, the um, broccoli seeds that have gone to flower, and the flowers are just delicious. I and, do uh, Yeah. I put them in salad. How about you? What do you guys do with them? I put them in salad, and, and uh, a couple nights ago, we had some portobello mushrooms, and what I did is I marinated the mushrooms, and then inside of the mushroom cap, I put a bunch of, like, really stuffed them with the flowers. And oh the the buds from the 
that eventually open as flowers from the broccoli. You know how when they when they they start to go in that direction, they instead of forming a head, they stretch up and become individual buds. So yeah, I stuffed yeah. it with those buds and with the flowers, and uh, and then put some goat cheese on top of it and roasted oh, it in the oven for about twenty five minutes, and it was awesome. <laughs> oh wow! It's and it's fun. like I was just shocked, surprised that you know these things went to have gone to had gone to flower already, and we actually, oh, wow. in order to make room for the new brassicas that we're mm. we're planting, we had uh, let's see, I think four different broccoli plants, and they were about um, four feet tall, and a foot or more of the end of each of the stems was all just loaded with flowers. So we're planning on making a stir fry with those tonight, and uh, and and of course with the stuffed portobello mushroom with them, we decorated the plate with the raw flowers too. So we had both. It was awesome. Lovely. And what did <laughs> you was. Um, what did you talk me the the mushrooms in, or did you soak them? Uh, well, them? I started out. I started and I peeled the cap, the tops. And I marinated them in um, a balsamic reduction with some olive oil oh. and balsamic vinegar. So I did a good oh, soak good. and then then put the uh, broccoli flowers and the broccoli buds in the cap. I sort of filled the cap up. You know, they were like maybe four-inch mushrooms. So filled yeah. the cap up and then sealed them over with goat cheese and baked the goat cheese till it was just nice brown and the mushrooms were exuding this okay. uh, this uh, balsamic now. reduction. Oh, listen, they were awesome. We've got two more mushroom caps, too, we're going to think about. I, I, we've been looking at another thing that's gone to flower or gone to seed already is last year at the end of the year we had, we had two um, horseradish plants, and they're just huge Mm -hmm. like already they're like three feet tall and these beautiful white flowers on them and looking at and Mm -hmm. wondering how edible they are but that's kind of a a next project for these other two mushroom caps we'll probably mix them (laughs) so we'll let you know how it goes super uh i recently made lettuce soup can you believe that (laughs) i haven't heard of lettuce soup before i have never ever either but you know, you can find anything on Google, and I thought, well, maybe someone has made lettuce soup. We had an abundance of, like, five different green kinds of lettuces, including spinach, and um, and it was all come, starting to, to go to seed because of the weather, and it was like we've been giving it away, we've been eating salads up the yin-yang, but what do you do with all the rest of it? And so I made lettuce soup, and I used... Um, the freeze dryer to freeze it up and then powder it after the freeze dryer was completed. Oh wow! So, yeah, you might with all that you're growing, you might want to think about a freeze dryer in case you have an abundance and you want to put things away that um, you know for for the winter or whatever. Cool it's, thought. It's, it's, cool idea. It's an amazing thing, and I see the time is is getting right down there. Yeah. Thank you for it's your It's going to cut us off everyone. any second. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate Thank you, young you so lady. Much. Blessings. All right. Blessings. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us, everyone.